So last week, Pastor Stan uh, stood in the pulpit and uh, he reminded everyone here that a year ago I, I stood here and uh, requested, uh, after 37 years, the request to ask permission uh, for transitioning from serving this body as your pastor, as the lead or senior pastor, uh, so that I might uh, give the remaining years uh, to focusing on the development and equipping of emerging leaders for uh, a multi-ethnic urbanized society and, and encouraging a reconciling church planting movement. And so I expressed uh, then that I uh, remain and remain committed to serving until the next pastor comes uh, for however long that takes, uh, depending if this body still wants to keep me. <laughs> So, but Brother Bill has given us a report of uh, hopeful anticipation from the Pastoral Search Committee, and we need to continue to uh, support them in our prayers and encouragement. Um, they have done and are doing tremendous work. I think he said they've met 26 times in the last year as a full group. Uh, but the hope that Bill speaks about with that committee is not based upon their intelligence or their skills or capabilities, but really the, their hope and the hope of this body is on the Lord who is the provider, uh, the one who goes before his church and promises never to leave us or forsake us. And so that's where our hope and expectation is. Now last week, Pastor Stan reminded us from Deuteronomy 11 about the compass in the wilderness wandering. And uh, he reminded us that in those times of uncertainty, we have a certain God. We have a certain presence of God. And so today I thought it would be wise and helpful to continue to think about uh, the wilderness wanderings and also uh, the wilderness journey of God's people, uh, particularly from Deuteronomy chapter 8. So please follow with me from Deuteronomy chapter 8. The whole commandment that I command you today shall be careful that you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of the, whose hills you, will, you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This is the word of the Lord. 
Deuteronomy is, is uh, Moses' greatest and last sermon to uh, the people of Israel. It's a, maybe a, a series of sermons, a pretty long sermon, actually. Uh, and, that, and he gave that at the end of his 120-year-old life. And after he delivered uh, these words, we find at the end that the Lord uh, just took him home. Uh, I'm hoping that I'll last a little longer than that in this. But Deuteronomy is an exhortation to the Israelites in this last year of their wandering before they entered the promised land. And so Moses is expounding the law to persuade, to coach, to exhort them uh, to obey it and not to be like their parents who acted in rebellion against God, but to learn the lessons, to learn from them uh, so that there's a lot of motivational encouragement in this message, almost like a graduation speech, as it were. Uh, God's people are graduating, uh, in a sense, from the 40 years in the desert uh, where they were being prepared for a new life. Uh, the wilderness is behind them. The promised land is before them. So he's telling them to remember what uh, they learned here. Remember who you are. And he's telling them to claim and fulfill the promises that God has as he advances them into the world. He doesn't tell them just to uh, believe in yourself or to make a difference in the world or to you can do it. But know that God has done it that God has been faithful, that God has delivered you, and that God promises as he's been with you, it will go with you, and that you are to advance into this country. So trust him, rely on him. And so here in Deuteronomy 8, uh, we see that God causes people to remembrance. He causes people to pause, to, to remember in the advancement of his mission in the world, and specifically he calls them to remember three key things, I believe, in this passage. To remember his commandments, or to remember his word, to remember uh, his leadership, and to remember his love. Now this is the expository outline, and I will try to uh, stay with this in the flow, but I thought it would be helpful to kind of track with some of the lessons of the history of faith as a church. Uh, and in many ways, we as a church are a church in waiting. Uh, I, I'm a, a pastor in some sense in waiting. In many ways, we are waiting for God to reveal who the next pastor of Faith Christian Fellowship is to lead this body in its mission forward in Penn Lucy in Baltimore and the world. At the same time, what Deuteronomy reminds us is, is that all human leaders are leaders with feet of clay. We're all flawed. All God's leaders lead with a limp. Henry Nouwen talks about that leaders are wounded healers. Uh, you know, Moses was not going to go with them into the promised land. Uh, Moses disqualified himself when he unleashed his anger at at the rock, and the, we find the rock was Christ, and so he struck the rock, and that cost him. Uh, God chooses weak leaders. Uh, God chose David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. God chose Peter, who blatantly denied Christ, and then he struggled with racism. Paul was a murderer and a persecutor of the church. And uh, he defined himself as the chief and the worst of sinners. So Deuteronomy's focus is not on human leaders 
and is not on Joshua. It is on the most perfect, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders, redeeming God. And so we must be careful not to give more weight and importance to human leaders. They are not, we are not able and cannot bear that kind of weight of such expectations. As Hebrews reminds us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But, you know, waiting is never easy. Waiting's not easy, particularly in our instant culture. Uh, but God has important reminders, important lessons for us to, 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 to know and to learn from as we are, in a sense, in, this is God's waiting room. <laughs> uh, so God had Moses. He had Moses take a whole year with the Israelites, a whole year to review their lessons uh, in their journey. They are on the east side of the Jordan River, and he spends a whole year with them to review uh, his commands, to review the good news that God is the deliverer, uh, to, to review with them how God provided for them, and to review for them their calling to advance his mission into the promised land. So this past Monday, our staff got away. We do an annual retreat where we get away as a staff to try to pray and to think about what are the needs of this body and how uh, we can possibly serve the church in this. And, and we actually workshop this particular passage. And one of the questions that we asked was, what do you think are some possible feelings the Israelites might have during this period of anticipation and transition. Uh, and here's some of the fear, confusion, loss of a key leader, grief in that loss, impatience, not knowing, regret about parents, comfortable staying in the camp. You think about it, all of the people that are waiting to go into this promised land, this is the whole, this generation didn't know anything else except the wilderness. Okay, everybody else died off. So this is a whole new chapter for them. Uh, dealing with the unknown, legends about giants in the land, needing to learn, doubt, can they do it, excitement about new things, trust God in new ways. So these are some of the thoughts that we just kind of brainstormed. But then we asked the question, what do you think are some feelings people at FCF might be experiencing during this time of anticipation and transition? And so here's some of the others. Fear and doubt, impatience during, during uh, God's time frame, excitement, grief. What will change? Well, I like the change. Uncertainty, confusion, coping, hope, regret, doing God's will provides peace. Fairly similar kinds of thoughts. Uh, transitions raise all of these kinds of questions and feelings. Uh, you know, I'm not one to give much weight to dreams. I don't speak about them in public because they tend to be so subjective and speculative. But, you know, God does speak through dreams. Uh, actually, uh, my understanding is that approximately 50% of those who have been Muslims come to Christ through dreams. Uh, and uh, Acts 2 talks about that in the last days, uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams. Well, I had a dream. I'm going to just share with you very briefly. It was just a couple weeks ago. And in this dream, Arlette, my twin sister, uh, and I consider her one of the key mothers of the church, uh, had, in my dream, she was waving her hands, and she was saying, stop, stop. 
we need time out, take, we need to take a pause. And she basically uh, said, we, before we move quickly on to the next thing or to the next assignment, we need to stop. And she said, we need to steward our history. Steward our history. That's, that was basically, you know, she felt like we needed to pause and reflect on where God's taken us as we move forward. And, uh, and I think, you know, maybe just in this whole period, it, it, I, I took that seriously. I feel like there's some wisdom in that, uh, taking a pause, taking a pause on reviewing our history. When you think of history, the word history is his story. Uh, and so it's important for us to reflect on God's working and God's story in our lives. So much of Deuteronomy is looking back, even as it looks forward. And so Moses wants them to know and to learn the lessons of their history. You know, we, we often say this statement from George Satayana, who was a poet and, and philosopher. He says, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And he says, a country without a memory is a country of madmen. So we, don't, we want to remember. We don't want to be a, a church of madmen or madwomen. We want to be a people that understands what God's done. So Deuteronomy is a great passage to, 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 to reflect and not to forget. So the first thing it tells us is to remember his word. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And so uh, it's interesting, you know, he, there's an emphasis on the whole commandment or every word of God. Uh, it's not that you can take some words and say, I, I embrace these because these I can accept and these I can't. It says the whole counsel, the whole word of God we are to uh, be careful to do. And this passage in itself uh, repeats those kinds of phrases that, uh, that God led, us, led them in the wilderness uh, so that, he would know what's the, they would know what's in their heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Uh, there's an emphasis. You know, as Joshua was leading the people into uh, the, the land, the last words that Moses gave to, to, Mo, to, uh, to Joshua was to be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land your forefathers uh, uh, were sworn to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law your servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from the right or to the left. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. You know, when, when Jesus, uh, before he was launched into his ministry, he, it says that he was led into the wilderness for 40 days uh, to be tested uh, and he was tested uh, in the wilderness. And the first test that he had by Satan was to turn the, the, the stone into bread. And Jesus quotes this passage, Deuteronomy 8.3, to Satan. It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the next temptation, Jesus took Jesus, uh, Satan took Jesus to the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, throw yourself off, you know, because he will command his angels to, to lift you up and you won't strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6, 16. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
And then Satan again took Jesus uh, to the high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of these. And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What you need to realize is that Jesus took the words in Deuteronomy very seriously. He had these words in his heart. They became the ammunition uh, to fight the wiles of the devil in the desert. And it's important for us to take seriously the word of God. Um, actually, uh, Deuteronomy is quoted like 200 times in the New Testament. You know, Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the theologian, pastor, uh, who opposed Hitler's uh, uh, genocidal persecution of the Jews, uh, said this. He says, because I am a Christian, therefore every day in which I do not penetrate more deeply into the knowledge of God's word in Holy Scripture is a lost day for me. It's a lost day. How important it is uh, to do the daily reflection and meditation on the Scriptures. Uh, when we, uh, when it, I went with Stan and others to, to uh, Memphis uh, to the Martin Luther King uh, 50th uh, commemoration, and uh, we went through the, the Civil Rights Museum there in Memphis. Uh, and I was very impressed with that museum, but I was impressed with the strength of that, that movement, of the Civil Rights Movement, the nonviolence uh, uh, movement was anchored in a devotion to the gospel and to the scriptures. And uh, the uh, Southern Leadership Con Conference trained the volunteers and the demonstrators, and, and every demonstrator had to pledge this pledge. And the very first one is to meditate daily on the teachings and the life of Jesus. And these Ten Commandments that these protesters had to sign off on are demonstrative of their commitment to the truths of the Scriptures and to the ways of Christ. And that became the powerful, uh, really, foundation upon which these protesters would stand before hoses and dogs and really was the power and the strength and the success of the civil rights movement that Dr. King was leading. Uh, there is great strength and there's great blessing and faithfulness to his word. As I think about uh, this church and its uh, mission and its vision and its values on the commitment to uh, racial reconciliation and uh, being uh, a united body, we believing that the blood of Christ is stronger than all of the divisions that exist in the world. Uh, I, am, I am deeply encouraged, but I will tell you that it is not an easy, it is not an easy work. As many of you know, uh, trying to unite people from different racial backgrounds, different uh, ethnicities, different histories, often alienated and with a lot of brokenness and wounds and hostilities, trying to hold people together with a, a lot of ignorance that exists, it's a hard thing to do. And uh, in the early days when we were attempting to do this, and I'm, I'm the solo pastor, and I was a solo pastor for 20 years, I can tell you that I was looking for a way out. I was, I was like trying to find in the scriptures the excuse that it's okay not to pursue this kind 
of hard gospel teaching. Uh, everybody else was just happy just going to a homogeneous thing, just doing church with people just like themselves and not thinking at all about how to practice reconciliation as a, as a united community. And I, I was very tempted, particularly in the midst of just how hard it was. But here's the thing. Every time I looked at the Bible, I just couldn't get past it. And when Jesus prays that last prayer in John 17, you know, he only gives one call for how the world would know that he was sent, that, that his disciples would be one, as the Father is one in Christ. And so, for me, if Jesus would pray that prayer and then go to the cross, who am I to try to change his missional ideology? Uh, and you see the whole unfolding in Acts and all the epistles that the unity of the body of Christ is the missional driver for people to see Christ. And, and he is doing that as a missional driver, but also as a sanctifying driver. He is sanctifying us in our relationships with each other. We need each other to grow in the image of Christ. And so I am deeply grateful for this church's historic commitment to that. I, I went on the website. You can go on the website and look and pulled the mission documents in the pastoral search. It's on the web. And I was reading through the mission and vision and the values that they have uh, posted there for potential candidates. And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, man, this is the kind of church I would like to pastor. And then I said, by God's grace, I have pastored this church. This has been a tremendous gift to me. And I, I'm just, I'm so excited about the, the possibilities of this next season and also just seeing this community multiplied. Uh, there is such a need in our society for faith to expand and multiply into other locations. And so uh, I am very grateful. And for those who have been in the trenches, those who have served and, and been with this journey over these years and have fought for this biblical value, thank you. It has made a difference in so many lives. Uh, and uh, Hebrews reminds us, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And God is in the midst of that. And for those that are here and are in this journey, and you maybe are exploring whether to land your feet in, at Faith Christian Fellowship, and you know, here's this church that's kind of in this weird transition I want to encourage you to anchor yourself and to plant yourself into this body. God has been with this church over these years. He has blessed this church, and he continues to bless the, the obedience of God's people to his word. And so there is great hope. I would encourage you to not lose that blessing and to be part of God's presence and his journey here. But secondly, his leadership. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And so we see that it is God who has led them into the wilderness. He's brought them into the wilderness and he has caused them, it says, to hunger, to let you hunger. Uh, and he fed them with manna and they he caused them to thirst, and he gave them the water. And he did this so that they would know that we don't live by our own efforts or by bread that we produce, but by 
every word that comes from the mouth of God. He is the source of all our blessings. You know, Proverbs says, the crucibles for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. And so God is a tester of our hearts. Uh, Do you believe that God is leading in the midst of your wilderness experience? I know that many here are in their own personal wilderness. It might be health issues. It might be relationship breakdowns. It might be employment challenges. It might be family issues. I don't know what your particular wilderness is. God has his own kind of sanctifying journey for each person, but he also takes a community through wilderness times, and he has lessons to teach us. Um, And so uh, God gave this previous generation signs of his presence and power while, the, while they were in the wilderness. He provided for them this manna that they had no idea what it was. It was this, this golden uh, honey-tasting wafers and how it provided for them. You know, it's an interesting thing when you think about that whole wilderness journey. We're talking 40 years. We're talking four to five million people. It was 600 plus fighting men, which meant that there was probably four or five million people wandering in a circle in a desert barren wasteland there's no agriculture to support them there's no water they are totally dependent upon this manna every day they're totally dependent on the water for god to provide every day because there's no water in the wilderness can you imagine 40 years four or five million people in a desert and yet they are all taken care of. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell. It was an amazing miracle in itself. And a lot of times he warns them that when they come to the promised land and they, they go into these houses and they have all this crop and they experience all this wealth, he says, don't forget it is the Lord your God's provided for you. But the problem is a lot of times when we are in material wealth or affluence and things are going good, we, free, we think it's just about us. We think that it's just our hands that provided for this. God says, don't forget, no, it's not your hands, it's my hand. It's the word of my mouth that has blessed you. And so we need to constantly remember that it's God who has provided. Uh, P.C. Craig, he said, to experience God in their history was not sufficient for the people They had to be constantly reminded of that experience in order to overcome their anxieties, which tended to blot out the memory. So we need constant reminders. I I remember early on when we started the church, and uh, this was the house of 3549 Greenmount. uh, This was a slumlord house when we purchased it. It was uh, 1981. Interest rates were 14.5%. And it was ridiculous. Uh, somehow, with the help of my parents who co-signed for us, and I, we, I didn't have any money, we actually were on food stamps. Uh, Maria was expecting, and uh, our first baby was a charity baby, and this is how we planted this church. <laughs> and, uh, but God was faithful, and God provided. And so uh, the InterVarsity team moved in with us, and, and here's the early year with the Carl Ellis is in that picture uh, teaching, and, and uh, we moved eight times in two years. There are times we did not know where we would meet for the next Sunday. Uh, we met in my backyard, uh, and here we met in uh, the Waverly 
uh, Methodist Church on uh, 33rd Street. And uh, we met there for one year. We had one year there, and we grew. And uh, they let us meet at the same hour as their worship service was meeting in their sanctuary. And then on Easter Sunday, we had a trumpet player. And let's just say it wasn't a happy Sunday for the church. And, and uh, by God's grace, this door opened. We didn't know. We had no, we could not even imagine that God would lead us here. But in 1983, uh, this church, the body that was here, the, the Boundary Methodist Church, uh, moved out and allowed us to, live, to, to purchase this building. And uh, God, it was like a miracle. I mean, for, for uh, 30 or 40 people that were just wandering, not knowing where they were going, this was just, it was God's thing. And so uh, this was a picture in 1983. We were committed to living out these values when we first started. This was what we were planning, you know, by God's grace, he's led us and then this was a picture last fall, the leadership retreat. And so what we have experienced and witnessed is that God has been faithful uh, throughout it all. And so God meets us in the wilderness. God meets us in our wanderings. And God will provide for his people. And when they're seeking faithfulness to his word, uh, he blesses. And so don't waste your wilderness. Don't waste the times when it feels like God has abandoned you. God's God has not abandoned you. God is with you. But sometimes God is waiting for us to cry out to him. Sometimes we're not desperate enough, you know, and sometimes that, that's what he, he wants us to get desperate. Uh, we're going to have a prayer meeting on the first uh, Sunday evening of May, just an hour prayer meeting, a corporate prayer meeting for us to gather as a church to pray for the pastoral search committee and to pray for the, the next pastor. Uh, and so I encourage you to put that on your calendar to come out and just for a devotion of corporate prayer. I know that many have been praying personally, and I appreciate that. Many have been praying in community groups, and that's a wonderful thing. But who knows that God might be waiting for us to get really desperate <laughs> and to really cry out to him in prayer. And so we're going to uh, do this on that. Uh, first Sunday night in May. But uh, finally, uh, we need to remember his love. And in verse 5, he says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. The Lord your di God disciplines you. And I think it's true that a lot of times in the midst of our uh, wilderness experiences, our our temptation is to think God has left us. God doesn't like us. God has removed himself from us. And then you look at your sin. Yeah, how can God love me with all the sin that's still in my life? And we just kind of go there. And in fact, the Israelites went there. Uh, the Israelites, in the first chapter, uh, they said, it's, uh, they said, in verse 27, you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he brought us out of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Uh, it's not like that God was just indifferent or, you know, God didn't care about them. No, God hated us. You know, it's an interesting thing that our hearts and our minds go towards such extreme orientation or extreme distortions about the nature and the character of God's love for sinners. 
there was a David Breeze wrote a book, Satan's Ten Most Believed Lies, and he argues that, that uh, doctrinal subversion is more deadly than witchcraft. And he says the very first lie, he says that Satan plants is to subvert the character of God in the hearts of people is the notion that God is a cosmic sadist, that God made man merely to frustrate him, that he inflicts an impossible set of rules and punishments on man, that God is impossible to please, a total tyrant. So the best thing to do is to chuck the whole thing right now, that God doesn't love you, that God hates you. These are lies right from the pit of hell, and Satan uses those lies, and he, and he wants people to believe that. But the scriptures constantly say that God's a lover. And Deuteronomy 7, 7 says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples. And then another passage, or more righteous than others. For you were the fewest people, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers. Do you recognize that? God loves you not because of anything in you, but because he's chosen to love you. <laughs> uh, it's hard for us to even comprehend that. Uh, and this word affection means desire, delight, his delight, his attachment, his longing. Uh, so we have a God who is furious in his love for his people and for sinners, uh, Brennan Manning, again, uh, in his book, The Furious Longing of God, said, For his love is never, never, never based on our performance, never conditioned by our moods of elation or depression. The furious love of God knows no shadow of alteration or change. It is reliable, always tender. And he said, I believe that Christianity happens when men and women experience the reckless, raging confidence that comes from knowing the God of Jesus Christ. And so we need to really, like, lean into that love, particularly in this time. You know, Brother Bill says, stay near the cross. If you're near the cross, you are near the most amazing, grace-loving God ever. Um, you know, I, in this period of time, I, too, struggle some with anxiety, and I wonder if— you know, I'm, you know, is my crazy in leaving this beautiful pastorate with all of the, the fellowship that I've experienced and the encouragements and, and I, I was uh, at the conference. I went to the. Um, there was a memorial moment at uh, the Lorraine Motel where Dr. King was assassinated, and they had a pause. And uh, I was I, somehow I got there a little bit late and. I got disconnected from the rest of the group, and and so I'm walking back to the conference alone, and all of a sudden I'm just feeling this overwhelming sense that that I'm going to fail, or that this whole thing is going to fail, and and I went back to the conference, and I'm in the conference, and they're getting ready for worship, and I'm just kind of going off by myself, just trying to do a a prayer journal. I'm just when I get really messed up in my own head. I need to like go to God and start just pouring my heart out, and I do this through prayer journals. 
And so I just said, I don't know if bomb this Baltimore Antioch thing is going to work. I, I don't know whether I will be able to raise support. I don't know if the seminary idea will work. I don't know if this book idea is viable or just ideas. I don't know what changing my roles from being the pastor of FCF will be like. I don't know many things. And, and it says, none of these things may work. And then I said, but what I do know is that you are, that you exist, and you're faithful and I'm trying to, like, now focus on God and not on my heart. And all of a sudden, in the band, uh, they started to play this song called Big. And it was like a child song that they transitioned or transformed into a... And it goes, my God is big, big, is big, so strong, so mighty, yeah. <laughs> my God's plans for me goes beyond my wildest dreams. My God is good, so good to me. My God... He's my God, he's my refuge, he's my rock from which, from which I stand, he's my fortress down to all my life. He holds the ocean in his hands. There's nothing my God cannot do. And it was like, like God didn't let me just stay in my depression or my anxiousness. He kind of like said, it was almost like, the, you know, you experience that, you come into worship and you say, God just spoke, that. it was like that song was just for me or that scripture verse was just for me. And I felt like God was saying, this was just for you, Craig. And I felt the love of God once again. You know, God meets each one of his children in the wilderness of their wanderings, in the wilderness of their discouragements, in the wilderness of loss. And so you need to know that you have a God that's crazy about you. He's crazy about this church. He is, he is grateful for this people that has been faithful to his word and he promises to be with you, that he promises that he will provide for you and that he will give you the next pastor. And he will take care of me too. And this is a good God. This is our God. There's no one like him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you give us uh, words of encouragement uh, in the wilderness from Deuteronomy. Lord, this period of time of just being uh, your people in the wilderness is such an important time for us to reflect on who you are and what you have done and where you're leading. I pray, God, that you would carry us, that you would carry this church uh, in this next season. We pray that we would be faithful in praying for the next pastor that you're calling us to. Uh, Lord, we pray for the uh, pastoral search committee that you'd encourage their hearts I pray that you would encourage all of us to look to you as the faithful provider. You've been with us in this journey. And Lord, you said you would never leave or forsake us. And we look forward to how you provide and how you advance your kingdom through us. And we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.